This episode, as the title implies, is not like the others. In this episode, I'm interviewing a mom of a severely food-allergic child. For 17 years, she's kept her son alive and well through various methods of safety. Oh, and uh, just one minor note here. She also happens to be my mom. So with that, we can commence my interview with Doreen Graham. Well, that is, after the podcast intro. Welcome, everyone, to Dairy Free Dude. I am Logan Grant, and I'm here to talk to you about how to thrive in a world where dairy products seem to be as common as dirt. When did you suspect your son had an allergy? Well, I had an older son who seemed to be having issues with some foods, constant (laughs) colds, or what looked like colds, that had resolved when I removed those suspect foods. Additionally, I had personally been recently diagnosed with a severe allergy to wheat and all its relatives. And after asking some questions uh, after my diagnosis, I discovered that there was a family history of allergy issues with food. I wish discovering you had a food allergy was actually as clear and as instant as that sounds. What it really looks like, in many people's cases, is an ongoing physical response that can easily be attributed to something like a cold or a virus, etc. It's very shifty, with early, less severe symptoms that mimic things like hay fever, bronchitis, and the like. We'd gone on a family vacation with extended family out of state at a remote location in the middle of winter and during a holiday. Not the best scenario for a life-threatening situation. You were around two and a half and had toddled into our bedroom while the family was visiting. I went looking for you and found you standing next to the side table with your head down on the bed. I called your name, and when you lifted your face, I could tell you'd been sampling the chocolate truffle your dad had left out on the side table. What I noticed right off was that you had an odd look on your face, sort of unhappy, upset, even kind of depressed looking. I brought you out to the kitchen where everyone was having lunch. Within a few seconds, you started with a machine gunfire round of sneezing. Your nose was both stuffy and running. I gave you some nose spray, thinking you were getting yet another cold since it was winter. The repeated sneezing continued. And as I watched you, it was like you'd lost your spunk. You coughed and sounded a little wheezy, and so I started getting concerned. As your brother and I both had asthma, and you had at least one episode that an ER doctor had referred to as asthma, I went straight for our nebulizer and started giving you a treatment, as well as a dose of Benadryl. I thought maybe you were getting stuffy from something in the rental we were staying in. As we sat there doing the nebulizing treatment, I watched your lips start turning blue and saliva coming from the corner of your mouth. Of course, I was praying feverishly as well, but it didn't occur to me to go to the ER crazy now that I think back on it. We were out of state and didn't even know where it was. Now I'm almost never out of town without knowing where emergency help could be found. The bluish tint seemed to go away and you were breathing okay for a while. I kept dosing you with Benadryl over the next 24 hours and everything seemed to go back to normal. But I was unsettled. I like to say that was the first time God saved your life. Knowing what I know now about anaphylaxis, you really should not have survived that episode. I'm so thankful you were able to live on. My heart just breaks for parents who lose a little one to anaphylaxis. How did you confirm your son had a severe food allergy? As you know, 
Confirming a severe food allergy is a twofold process. You have symptoms after ingesting an offending food, and then you go for confirmation through medical testing. I'd had that myself, so I knew what we were going to face when it came to my son. So when we got back from our family vacation, I made an appointment right away with our pediatrician. He phoned in a simple blood draw test at the hospital lab, and we immediately drove over there. It took about two minutes for the process. Well, 15 if you include the time you wasted knocking down every nurse and fighting while we held you still. It was frustrating, as I knew it was simple and quick, but you made it take forever. You were just three, so it was hard to help you understand what was happening. Yeah, I think I've gotten past that now. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> and your brother sat out in the waiting room, crying because he could hear you were yelling and upset. Actually, one other year, I felt awful when after your annual test, you asked me, with your saucer-wide eyes, if you had any blood left. You eyeballed the vials they collected and thought they were taking all of your blood out. <laughs> Poor little guy. Looking back after diagnosis, there were several aha moments where we were like, so that's what that was. I went back through all of our medical records and reassembled the pieces of my case and looking at the big picture, I could see there was something unusual going on. But as you're doing life, you don't necessarily pay attention to all the little details as being related to each other. I mean, every kid gets sick now and then, right? All those ER visits for respiratory distress, GERD, severe heartburn and projectile vomiting. <gasps> wow, that was epic. Conjunctivitis, irritated eyes, probably dairy rubbed in them. Strider which was misdiagnosed as an obstruction in the windpipe, it was actually your airway closing that resulted in you making that horrible sound when you tried to breathe. That one got us both a ride in the ambulance, and all the x-rays they took of your neck looking for some object that wasn't even there. Ear and sinus infections, all these things kept happening that looked like one thing that were actually symptoms of your exposure to dairy and food and drink. And it just got worse and worse. One time in the doctor's office, they took a measurement of your oxygen saturation with that little finger sleeve tool, and then the nurses started running back and forth getting medicine and a nebulizer because your low oxygen number was alarming. All of that, two pediatricians, four ER doctors, ambulance medics, and no one ever suggested testing for a food allergy. Three years. No one. All of this took place before the fateful trip where you suffered anaphylaxis. It shocks me now. So I encourage parents to ask about allergy testing if they're experiencing things like this. I think doctors are more up to speed on at least looking into the possibility nowadays. So when we did finally get that IgE blood draw test the day of our appointment after the vacation, I had just barely arrived back home from the hospital when the pediatrician called and asked us to come back in to pick up an EpiPen and get trained on how to use it. Immediately. I can still remember getting that call. I was in shock. After we got back home from the second visit to the pediatrician, I sent the boys off to play in their room and sat in the kitchen trying to cope with the news. I still remember the grief. I wept for probably an hour. Felt overwhelmed by what I would call loss. Loss of choices, loss of opportunities, fear of the future, fear of possibly losing the future, my baby. Just so grieved at all I felt my son had just lost. 
Now, of course, we have lived long enough to know how to navigate it and not just survive, but thrive. But back then, it was overwhelming terror and grief. You have all these hopes for your child and you just take life for granted. Of course, it does make life extra challenging. At what point did this become natural? It took quite a while. There's a pretty steep learning curve because we're just not naturally used to being suspicious over food 100% of the time. It's kind of exhausting. Like being on high alert all the time. When we're out, I usually only have half of my attention to give to anything. The other half is always trained on your little vulnerable person. Kind of like being a bodyguard. Why did you decide to banish all dairy from the house? Well, we tried to hang on to normal, stocking up with regular groceries and a few extra safe foods added in, but we had repeated food accidents where you were exposed to dairy by a cheese stick smear on the table, or a cracker on the floor, or mistakenly giving you the instant cocoa with dairy. Finally, at one point, we were like, enough! We can't live like this anymore. Having to be on high alert at home, where we're supposed to be able to relax and enjoy our time together. It was nerve-wracking to get surprised by accidents in the home. It doesn't make you feel like a very good parent when you have to keep visiting the ER so often that they know you. I didn't want a frequent visit punch card. We just decided we were done with dairy in our home. Cold turkey. It's so hard to try to juggle safety and having the allergen around, sanitizing all the time, second-guessing every action, having to fight the urge to blame whoever messed up and put you in jeopardy. It's been so much easier to have a haven where we just don't really even have to think about it at all. But it's also hard on visiting extended family. It's hard to grasp the ideas of cross-contamination and the severity of anaphylaxis, the danger of simple kisses from dairy-laced coffee lips, not being able to potluck, etc. It's hard for them to understand why you're so aggressive at intervention and preparation. Sometimes you have to deal with condescension, offense, or mockery. It's amazing how important food is to people. You need patience for sure. It's great, so great, to have a spouse who's in the corner on, and on the same page with you. The stress is really difficult, especially at first and after an episode. It really shakes you to see your child face death. What do you look for when out and about? Basically, potential hazards. You have to kind of think about what might possibly have taken place or what might occur in a given situation. I joke uh, that it's kind of like a spy or detective or like Tony Stark, where on one level you see reality, on another level you're scanning for potential problems like, hey, there's a lady walking toward us with a full cup of coffee and no lid and she's not paying attention where she's going because she's looking at her tiny dog instead. If she bumps into us and spills that coffee on you that might contain creamer, we might have to visit the ER. Or, hey, there's a group of kids at the playground here that are covered in dripping ice cream as they crawl all over the equipment with their cones. There's probably dairy residue on the jungle gym or slide. We might have to come back another time or wipe things down. And how about the time we were watching your brother's swimming lessons? Sitting in chairs and I looked to my left and saw a toddler coming our way with a full bottle of milk fiddling with the lid. Sure enough, after I picked you up off the floor, that bottle of milk was spilled right by our feet. Or the time the dentist came in to check your teeth after just popping a piece of Christmas fudge into his mouth from the break room. 
I had to ask him to please wash his hands and put on a new pair of gloves and remind him that any dairy residue, especially put into your mouth, would be life-threatening. It got a little awkward. I had to be prepared to just leave without your service. He cooperated, though. And then, of course, social events are tough. Always food. People greeting you with donut icing or cookie icing on their hands. We have to work hard to remember most people never have to think about food as being dangerous. It's probably not something you'd wish on your enemy, even. It's exhausting. Did I say that before? Can you imagine if you had to live this life? Maybe it calls for some compassion instead of irritation over the no peanut butter rule. It does get much better with practice, time, and aging of the child. You know, so they no longer stick their fingers in their nose, eyes, and mouth in public and can begin to participate in the protective prevention by becoming educated and proactive in their safety. How did you keep your son from touching things when he was younger? That was really tough. And he wasn't always very cooperative. <coughs> Let's see. Constantly watching him like a hawk, especially his hands. Gloves. We tried just about all of them. Rubber, leather, mountain bike gloves, socks when necessary. You didn't seem to want to touch your face much when you had your hand coverings on. I was so glad when we got to the age that you were more conscious about touching your face. Sometimes I'd give you something to hold and fiddle with in a secret plan to keep your hands occupied and away from your face. And I have said the phrase, don't touch your face, probably 8,500,000 times in your lifetime. Even I'm sick of it. Still, I hardly ever forget to say it when you leave the house, right? Still. Except now I'm laughing a little inside as the whole world's being constantly reminded not to touch their face, too. Gotta find a reason to laugh when you can. How did you manage taking your son to things that involved food when he was a kid? Preparation, preparation, preparation. Did I mention preparation? That meant traveling with a lot of gear. Food cooler, eating utensils and servingware, placemat, napkins, wipes, soap, water for drinking and washing, garbage. Like full-on food camping, but for an afternoon outing. We took nothing from anyone at events. I tried my best to match whatever they would be eating if I could find out ahead of time. I didn't want you to feel exceptionally weird or left out. Well, actually, lots of times we'd have better stuff, though. Sometimes kids would want what we brought. <laughs> we would either take everything along that we'd need or come late and skip the food part altogether. Or just miss it completely. We pretty much didn't do birthday parties when you were little. Way too much risk. That's hard. I would also add, you'll have to learn a new way of cooking. And there can be a real learning curve. The ingredients change. And they might behave differently than their normal counterparts, so you'll have to learn to adjust a lot. You'll have to become FBI-level skilled at reading product labels. Look for help. There's a lot of help available today that wasn't there 10-plus years ago. Always keep your ear to the ground on warnings, developments, and new resources or products. It'll be costly. I'm really thankful for the huge array of allergen-free products available today, but they come at a huge price tag. It's really painful financially. <clears throat> I would advise parents to learn to cook if they don't already have that skill. If you can cut down on some food expenditures that way, it'll really help. 
and you'll know exactly what's going into your child's mouth, since you made it yourself. Do you have any complaints? Aside from people's insensitivity and willingness to elevate food preferences over a person's inclusion, that's a pretty big deal. You'll have to teach your allergic child to overlook it. Probably the, one of the biggest disappointments you'll feel is when you start reading food labels. There's a growing number of food products in the market that will advertise as being free of whatever allergen, but then when you look closer, it's not quite true as the product is manufactured in an environment of cross-contamination, like shared equipment in the same factory as blah, blah, blah. Some like to say cross-contact, but it feels more accurate to me to stick with the original cross-contamination tag. If the production of a product doesn't go the whole distance to avoid contact with the allergen, it's not truly free of the allergen and not safe for an allergic person. The allergic community can't afford to take the chance on it. Are there any tips you'd like to give to other parents who are learning to cope with their child's severe food allergy? I would say, first and foremost, never feel bad for running interference to protect your child's life. You may have to find your inner bold person. It's awkward to have to ask a professional to stop and wash their hands and change their gloves before they work with your child, or to clean the food away from their paperwork, wash their hands, and clean the pen they're handing to you. Some people will try to make you feel embarrassed or ashamed when you assert yourself, but this is one situation where if you compromise to accommodate other people's preferences over your child's safety, you could be sorry the rest of your life. It's just not worth it. Find the habits that work for you and stick to them. Try really hard to be polite. Generally, people just don't have a clue about what it's like to live this life. Just treat it as a matter of course and try to remove the emotion. Your allergic child is watching and learning from you on how to assert themselves. It's a heavy burden for your allergic child to carry, their own mortality hovering over them because of something so necessary to life, eating. Talk, express love and comfort, and help them learn how to cope without being stalled in life. It's a fine line to walk between careful and paranoid. You'll learn how to walk that line together. It may sound strange, but I do find at least one benefit in that living with a life-threatening allergy moves you to not take time for granted. We express love and appreciation. We do a lot of hugging and verbal affirmation. We celebrate. We spend a lot of time together. We express thankfulness, especially after a near miss or recovering from an accident. It's been several years since the last one. We look for ways to overcome and get the better of it, and not be the victim. I also tuck into my faith often to cope with fear and grow in trust. It's a never-ending battle. Some days I do fine at it. Some days I have a lot of room for improvement. But it is a source of courage and comfort. What kind of doctor should an allergy parent choose for their child? My number one tip is look for a doctor that will respect your input. You have a lot to add, and you have the most invested in the patient's well-being. You are with your child most often, and you know how to read them and observe them. Find one that will discuss things with you, listen to you, educate you, train you, and weigh your input when they partner with you on care. Any closing remarks? 
I am so proud of the way you're learning to live in a way that overcomes this heavy burden and defeating it by finding a way to help others with your Dairy Free Dude podcast and website. I'm just so proud of you, son. Live on, dude. My mom taught me much of what I teach you all here on this podcast. Without mom, well, technically I actually wouldn't exist, but still, without mom, I probably would never have been able to learn any of this in the first place. Thanks, mom. This is Logan Graham, the Dairy Free Dude. Live on!